I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cedarburg Public Library Radio. You're tuned to the Steve Donahue Show on CPL Radio, your one-stop daily source for Steve's take on the world of books. And now your host, the book critic who literally reads everything, Steve Donahue. Greetings, fellow patrons of the Cedarburg Public Library, and welcome back to the Steve Donahue Show, where we discuss bookish news, views, and reviews while swabbing out the punch bowls and sweeping up the confetti. It's Wednesday, my fellow patrons, and not just any Wednesday. It's the proverbial morning after here in the United States, the day after whatever the hell that was that happened on Election Day. In the whole breadth of the country, it's quite possible that the only truly contented person today is my producer, over in his glass-walled control booth, and that's only because he once again wrote in Ross Perot. This was not anything that could be called a normal election, if such a thing has ever actually existed in the last hundred years, being, as it was, a contest between a crude neo-fascist imbecile Queens Mussolini and the ghost of Jacob Marley. But it was an abnormal one in another sense as well, to a greater degree than has been true in this country in well over a century. This election has pitted against each other, not just politicians vying for the same job, but ordinary Americans fated to live alongside each other every day in the normal streets and traffic lanes of the country. There was no Eisenhower in this race, (laughs) although there's rumor on Reddit that says he and Biden were classmates at PS 103. (laughs) Instead, there's tribal warfare being carried out at such a rabid pitch 
that today people aren't even looking at a hard-fought campaign between political rivals. Instead, they're seeing an all-out battle between good with a capital G and evil with a capital E. In the days and weeks to come, half the country will be increasingly vocal not about the fact that their guy lost, but about the horrific reality that the forces of evil, all in caps, have won a great victory against the forces of good, all in caps. <laughs> the last time the country was keyed to this feverish and moralistic pitch, it required a civil war to sort things out. And whether or not that happens this time, too, is well outside our remit here on The Steve Donahue Show, where we mostly are concerned with books. So today I thought I'd offer you some recommendations that fit the mood of the day. Recommendations of books in which there's a clear triumph of good with a capital G over evil with a capital E. In the secular world, we'll, uh, for the moment, we'll leave aside the vast, sprawling ecosystem of religious publishing. Post-election or no post-election, nobody needs to feel that bad. <laughs> the most reliable arena for such books is also, probably not coincidentally, one of the most lucrative. Books on the Second World War. Heck, it's even often called the Good War. It's easy to see why. Not only were Hitler and Nazism the pinnacle of human evil up until that moment, but on the other side were not just virtuous soldiers, but granddad. <laughs> the ordinary grunts of the Second World War came home and went to college and had families and be became, over the course of decades, the gray and doddering saints of their communities. We can overlook the large-scale moral ambiguities. Joseph Stalin, uh, who'd rack up a body count that would dwarf that of the Nazis, was our ally during the war, keep in mind. And we can also overlook the small-scale moral ambiguities. Tell me, granddad, did you ever bayonet an unarmed Berlin boy in the face because you were hungover and he accidentally scared the crap out of you? <laughs> in fact, we can overlook the ambiguities of all kinds and just concentrate today on good versus evil and the melodrama of it all. And along those lines, you should certainly read William Shire's massive book, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Shire was a journalist who was on the ground and watching as Germany darkened into a dictatorship, and he writes about it all with an intense readability of somebody whose job it was to sell copy, but also the passionate anger of a civilian who couldn't do a damn thing about most of the atrocities seeping up all around him. Um, and along similar lines, but far, far less known, is a book called Spearhead by Adam Makos, M-A-K-O-S. It's the story of a crew of a Sherman tank in the U.S. 3rd Armored Division in the closing days of the fighting of the war in the Eastern Theater. Uh, these kinds of grunt-level histories have been appearing regularly for 80 years, and the underlying implication of 99% uh, of that body of work is exactly the kind of good versus evil iconography we're all craving today. Uh, but Makos has the genius talent to tell this familiar kind of story in, a, in, a, in the manner of military fiction, rather than standard regimental history. He reconstructs dialogue, uh, he pairs away the usual historical padding, and he narrates the action, and there's plenty of action, this is around the time of the Battle of the Bulge, keep in mind, with the headstrong fire and brimstone of a military thriller. Uh... And military thrillers are another place where we're virtually certain of getting the straight-up good versus evil satisfaction that a large part of the country is craving today. The architect of this subgenre in the modern era is, of course, Tom Clancy. And although Clancy himself couldn't tell a story effectively 
The same can't be said for many of his literary progeny, including in this instance quite literally. Mark Greene was one of the writers tapped by Clancy's estate to continue some of his ongoing fictional universes. And the contrast between his Jack Ryan novels and Clancy's own Jack Ryan novels is, uh, well, it's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> Suddenly, I find myself enjoying big, fat novels set in Clancy's hyperactive, mean-spirited, simplistic, intensely xenophobic fictional world. And I naturally looked around uh, for Greeny's own fiction. And boy, was I glad I did. Greeny is the solo author of the Gray Man series, starring a very Clancy-esque covert operative named Court Gentry, who suddenly finds himself being hunted by his former taskmasters and forced to live a mercenary's life outside all institutional loyalties. At least at first, that's the beginning of the series. That's the, the conception of it. The Gray Man series has been going on for years now. And in all that time, Gentry's moral compass has scarcely even quivered. <laughs> if you haven't discovered him yet, they'll certainly hit your sweet spot if you're looking for the good guys to win and the bad guys to lose and blow up in a stolen military attack helicopter over the Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> and if you're not put off by the comic booky nature of military and spy thrillers, Maybe you won't be put off by actual comic books, the first and last bastion of the simple good versus evil payoff. Comics have, of course, always been built on this payoff, although modern readers might not be aware of how disturbing the earliest beginnings of that particular paradigm are. Batman in the 1930s simply executed the gangsters that he fought, and Superman just flatly assumed that his physical strength and invulnerability gave him the right to tell people what to do. But in short order, comic book heroes began to take on the straightforward role of the good guys, and World War II certainly helped with that. And although Stan Lee and Marvel Comics added some popularity to the concept of the anti-hero, most comic writers increasingly refined the goodness of their good guys and the badness of their bad guys. So if that's what you're looking for today, I've got some recommendations for you. And the first of those is to avoid, like the plague, one of the most famous and lauded comic series of them all. Alan Moore's The Watchman, since it not only depicts but revels in exactly the kind of things you're probably wanting to avoid today. Instead, why not try Batman Year One, written by Frank Miller and drawn by David Mazzucchelli? In four chapters, it tells the story of how Bruce Wayne first became Batman, and although it has just as many dark and cynical undercurrents as anything else Miller has ever written, this is the author of The 300, for instance, it's also filled with the bright light of heroism at its toughest moments. And that can be very reassuring at a time like this. <laughs> and if you enjoy Batman Year One, definitely keep an eye out for Miller's other great hero reset, Daredevil Resurrection, likewise drawn by Mazzucchelli. It does the same things in the same operatic and ultimately reaffirming terms. And if you're bothered that I'd warn you off the Watchmen, just rest assured, there is at least one Alan Moore story that might work for our particular needs today. It's called Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. And it's a what-if style reimagining of how the Superman story not began, but rather ended. Despite the foreboding nature of that description, this little two-chapter tale will end up by making you smile and reinforcing your belief in truth, justice, and the American way. Oh my, truth, justice, and the American way. For at least half the set of the country, it's worth remembering today, maybe especially today, that when that catchphrase was first cooked up in the 1950s, there was plenty of injustice and buried resentment in this country, maybe as much as there is today. 
Many saints, scoundrels, and clueless monsters have occupied the Oval Office since those words were first spoken, in describing, let's remember, a space alien. And yet we are a bigger, more diverse, and more just country now than we were then. As one American who never occupied the Oval Office famously said, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So today, my fellow patrons, you have Steve's permission to withdraw to the deepest corner of your most friendly couch out of anger, resentment, or pure joy, and wallow in the simplicity of good versus evil and the fantasy of good guys winning because they're good. Multifaceted ethical complexity can wait until tomorrow, or maybe even next week. <laughs> and in the meantime, difficult as it might be for half the country, I nevertheless wish you all a very good bookish day. The Steve Donahue Show is a production of CPL Radio, a service of the Cedarburg Public Library located in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.